Well, as Bo said, it is a little bit different week this week, but I have been waiting for this week. I'm so excited for today. Um, for those of you who've been with Waypoint since we planted about two and a half years ago, you know um, the way I've been approaching the church plant has been very intentional. I see some very foundational pieces biblically that need to be put in place. And church leadership is first and foremost. And so we, we took our time. The very first series that I ever did was on church leadership, what that looks like, who's qualified, how important that is, um, how really uh, biblical leadership is, is a reflection of the heart of God for his own people. The metaphor most often used, at least for an elder, is that of a shepherd. And that is the Lord's heart. Um, and so we took our time to really look at and establish that. Because I firmly believe that if, if a church is going to excel and if a church is going to be healthy and thriving, then it needs to begin with their leadership. Because if the leadership's not there, the, the church won't go there. So... Um, this morning, we have the privilege of establishing the next foundational stone for us at Waypoint in church leadership, and that's we're going to get to ordain our very first deacon body. And um, I want to remind you just some of the differences um, in the two. One, it differs, deacons differ from an elder in that elders were, were to be appointed, as Paul told Titus, uh, by Titus. They, they were nominated um, and examined and affirmed by the, the people. I, I, there are so many bad ways that church eldership operates, and we're trying to be very close to the Scripture. Hebrews 13 makes it clear, um, you're only to follow the example of your leaders when you can first and foremost submit to them with a clear conscience. And you don't do that until you've examined them for a while, and you've, you've watched how they live, and you can submit to them because you see their consistency. And so you do have a say in, hey, I can't submit to that man. I know how he is outside of church. And, uh, but, but we were careful to, in our examination of elders, at least, to, to make sure your conscience can say amen to the people we put forward. Deacons, on the other hand, were first put forward by you. And so I want to, to start, open up to Acts 6. We're going to look at a few different passages this morning. In Acts 6... Um, now, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, and this is kind of inconsequential, but I'm not quite sure that this was the first deacon body, but it nonetheless identifies characteristics in, in the work of a deacon in Acts 6. But they were put forward by the people. So verse 1 of Acts chapter 6 says this, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they, the whole gathering, chose, and then it goes on to list the men they chose. Then verse 6, these they set before the apostles, and they, the apostles, prayed and laid their hands on them. So the first servants of the church 
were put forward by the people. And uh, this is important for me because the deacon body is going to be serving you. And so if you don't recognize, first and foremost, that they're servants already, then they shouldn't be put forward, right? These men that were put forward were recognized by the congregation, by you specifically, as men who were servants. Specifically, we're talking about Travis Hall, Mr. Mark Olmstead, and Mr. Olin Dawkins. So these three uh, we have here today, they were among several men suggested by you. Uh, some men that were, were nominated, we approached and asked and talked to them about, and they declined for various reasons to, to take the next step of examination. Some men, we, uh, we just wanted to watch and observe to see if we could also see what you're seeing in these men as potential deacon candidates. It's also important to note that these men, while they're the first, um, hopefully they're not the last. Uh, the way we're going to approach deaconship as well as eldership, because we have a military community who we think the Lord equips those men to be both servants and leaders in the church, even though they might be here for only a few years, we're always going to be in the process of watching. And so this, this deacon body as well as an elder body hopefully will be a good mix of both people who are local as well as people in our military community, maybe elsewhere, who are kind of in and out. But what is clear to us as, as the elder body is that these three men, after we had a time, a period of going through the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, talking to them and having really observed their life for quite a while now, um, that these men were already being raised up by the Lord to be in, uh, in the deacon body. I love this resurgence, too, of biblical leadership. There's a renewed focus on, on biblical leadership, both in eldership as well as a deacon body. And uh, I, I don't want in this resurgence, which we embrace at Waypoint, uh, as I said, we value healthy biblical structures and leadership. I don't want the impression to be that a deacon body is less than an elder body, because I don't really believe that. I think a deacon body is equally important, but for different reasons. Um, an elder body, we read in Acts 6, needs to be given to the ministry of the Word and prayer. And so having a healthy biblical deacon body is what actually clears the way for an elder body to be who, who they should be. Um, just this week in our elder meeting, Bo made the point as we looked at the list that Rhonda makes us of things going on, how from the time we had been established as an elder body till now, um, what's, what's on our list to deal with is different. It's, it's the administrative things are being passed off, which is where we've been wanting to get to um, and, and will become even more. Having a healthy and biblical deacon body also is what will ensure the church, uh, God's family, as we just got done studying the last few weeks, is going to be cared for. That's what happened in Acts 6 as the church began to grow and people um, came to faith in Christ. The needs multiplied and they were far beyond what a, a body of 12 men and apostles could do. And so there was, there was genuine needs to be cared for. But more than this, I also think that having a healthy and biblical deacon body will ensure that Waypoint Christian Church will always have a biblical picture of the character of Christ among us. And that's really what I want to lead into this morning in our charge to the deacon. 
So the character of a deacon in Acts 6 that we saw, there's several things that the text tells us the apostles said you need to look for in men you put forward. One, they need to be of good repute, both within the church and outside of the church. They need to have a good reputation, a consistent reputation. Um, They're not supposed to be hypocrites, right? Now, I want to remind you, and I did this with elders too, it doesn't mean that a deacon body is sinless. That's not what it means. It does mean when they sin, they deal with it. They confess it, right? Scripture in Acts 6 also says they need to be full of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit and the spiritual intimacy of, that comes with having a walk with Christ should be evident to some degree in these men. They need to be full of wisdom, and this is such an essential quality for a servant because you serve in situations that are difficult and takes wisdom to serve. In other words... Uh, often I think a deacon body is kind of characterized as broom pushers. These men are wise men. What distinguishes them from elders is that they're not called to the teaching ministry, but they're wise people. They need wisdom. Verse 5 also notes that Stephen, the first man they chose, was full of faith, as well as the Holy Spirit. Again, being full of faith, being fully persuaded of the Lord's faithfulness, the Lord's presence, the Lord's ability um, to, to us as His body is what empowers a deacon to actually serve. If they are faithless, they won't serve. Plain and simple. But there's also something I want to point out in Acts 6 at least, is that the deacon body was actually a peacemaking body. We read a dispute arose amongst the Christians there. The Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrews. And it was very, very divisive potentially. It could, have, it could have torn apart the first church. And so the proposition for the, the apostles to say, you need to appoint men to tend to this. We, we can't do it. Shows that the deacon body, this is the wisdom of a deacon body, was able to come to a very divisive situation and the way that they overcame it was by laying themselves down and serving. And so a deacon body is so important because there's always going to be disagreements in a church. Always. How are they overcome? It's, it's most often not overcome with just words. Very often it's overcome by action. And it's overcome by humble, serving kind of action. And so the deacon body in this case is really what brought the church back together. It wasn't the apostles. It was the deacon body. This is huge. So how beautiful a picture we have in Scripture from this. These aren't all the qualifications. If you want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm not going to teach through these. I will read them because I've, I've at this point taught, preached on these qualifications twice to the church and we've gone through them in depth with these candidates in private already. But I, I do want to read them. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul formally identifies what's the character of a deacon look like. And it's in the imperative. They must be these things, okay? Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful. 
in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as a deacon gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. So the deacon body, in other words, and here's what I want to emphasize this morning, these men were not chosen uh, because this is a good old boy club. No one's guaranteed this position. We don't just appoint people because they've been the longest member of a church. No, they might be a faithful member, but that doesn't mean they are necessarily a deacon or an elder. These men, uh, as far as we can tell and have examined, they've confessed sin. They're very forthright about their shortcomings in the flesh. Um, they know they're not perfect, and in, in most um, In all of us, there is a trepidation about the office that we're called to, but they're willingly moving forward. So the character of a deacon is spoken of clearly in Scripture. The characterization of a deacon is that they're humble servants. Literally, the root word of of deacon, diakonos, is one who labors in the dust, is what it means. And and you can see here, we got them gifts, and and I did this for the elder body too. Um, I stole some of my father-in-law's what are these called, Ken? Sweet plow heads here. Um, but they're laborers. They're, they're the lowliest of servants in a society originally. And uh, it's fascinating to me, if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2, it's fascinating to me that when Paul would call this church at Philippi together to unity, he points them to the example of service. That's what unifies them. This one great truth, and this is really the heart of what I want to charge and talk about this morning before we get to the celebration. The example of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant." Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I want to talk about Jesus for a little bit. Jesus was the servant of men. And this really is a polarizing truth in the culture. To a world that values and exalts and displays um, self-assertion and power and pride, aggression, individual justice, all these attributes we see hailed and, and exalted in our society. This truth of Christ being a humble servant of all, a laborer in the dust, if you will, is hardly appealing It's certainly not appealing to a culture that values just the opposite. 
To the church, however, Christ, the servant of men, is the ethic of all ethics. It's the virtue of all virtues. Christ himself said, greater love has no one than this, than what? He who lays his life down for his friend. So in fact, we, we not only see the opposite, we see that the backbone and strength of a moral society is this virtue. In Christendom, the foot washer is exalted in their example. It's pointed to as the example to follow in John 13. Jesus stoops down, wraps himself with a cloth, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And even they, he says, didn't understand what he was doing. In fact, if you remember the account in John 13, Peter started pushing back. Lord, don't wash my feet. That's too low for you. Didn't understand what Jesus was doing. Jesus corrected Peter and then he said, I've left you an example to follow. Blessed are you if you do it. So the foot washer is exalted in a Christian ethic. And what primarily characterized Jesus in his humanity was his love and his service toward people. Right? He went everywhere, town to town to town, serving. In fact, he himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom. I just summarized some things as I thought about this point. Often Jesus would love people sacrificially without it being returned. Often Jesus would heal people without the one healed returning to say thank you. Often Jesus would seek out the outcasts and the destitute without the fanfare of the crowds. Often Jesus, when he had, having served or healed someone, would tell those recipients of the blessing, don't tell anyone. Often Jesus was maligned by people who viewed his love for the lowly and service to sinners as something beneath true greatness and true leadership. And often the degree and stretch of Jesus' humility and serving and self-abasement challenged even his closest followers, the disciples, are you really willing to go this low in serving others? But what the Scripture tells us in this passage in Philippians 2 is that it was on account of His obedience and His humility and service that God turned the tables. Though He was despised and rejected of men, God exalted Him to have the name above every name because of this ethic. Apparently, humble, lowly, obedient servants are very prized by God. And they have His favor and His grace big time. In fact, the greatest among us, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11, shall be your servant. That's how God views deacons as the greatest among us. The great missionary Hudson Taylor said this, when God wants to do His great works, He trains somebody to be quiet enough and small enough, and then He uses that person. I love that. Hudson Taylor's life was exemplary in this way. So therefore, deacons are those who have been recognized as having taken this call in Philippians chapter 2 seriously. And they've been recognized as having obeyed it. They were already looking to your interest without the recognition. I love how J.B. Lightfoot, he's a Greek scholar and commentator, some say he wrote the greatest commentary on the book of Philippians. 
Here's how he translated the beginning of chapter 2. He said this, If your life in Christ, your knowledge of Christ, speaks to your hearts with a persuasive eloquence, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Let me say this. I, I love this. True life and true knowledge in Christ will eloquently persuade you to be in unity, to be of the same mind about something. And that something is namely that I ought to count others as more important than myself. When you look at the example in life of Christ, what an eloquent persuasion that presents of His service. In other words, this statement in Philippians counting others as more important than themselves, is the deacon's motto. It's their creed. It's what the Holy Spirit has tattooed on their hearts. It's so much so I wanted to point out Travis's service of me this morning. I was joking with him. I said, man, Travis, I, I wore a tie for your deacon ordination service, and he didn't even order wear a tie. And his, his very humble response back to me was, well, I wanted to make you look better, Seth. Serving me even this morning, Travis. Here to help. Often, the deacon body will serve you without anyone else knowing it. In fact, sometimes the deacons will serve you without you knowing it. You might come home to a mowed yard and not know who did it. Often, deacons will love sacrificially without it ever being returned to them. Often deacons will tend to the needs of the church without so much as the thanks. Often deacons will seek out the outcast and the destitute without the fanfare of the crowds cheering them on. Often our deacon body will serve without wanting or calling any attention to what they've done. And often deacons will be maligned by people who view their lowliness and service as something beneath true greatness. And yet, it's this type of person that the church looks at and considers them as prized possessions to have. For the church that lacks this type of person, qualified, I would consider to be an impoverished church, truly lacking in Christ-likeness. On the other hand, the church that has several or many of these types of servants we would consider rich. And I do. True riches are found, it's often said, not in what you can accumulate, but what you can give. And a church that is full of people who are not only willing to give, but give their very selves in service to their beloved brothers and sisters is a blessed and rich church. The Lord has graciously given to us three and maybe more such people to celebrate this morning. He has richly blessed us. I want to end with what Paul said, and we got this engraved on their plowhead. 1 Timothy 3.18, or 3.13, sorry. It's the last verse that Paul said to the deacons. Those who serve well as a deacon gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They, there's a reward for deacons. One, they gain a good testimony, great confidence, because a faithful servant is one 
who has come into conformity to Christ. There's great confidence when you're walking lock and step with Jesus as he walked on this earth. There's also great confidence in the faith because the faith is not simply a matter of word. It's not simply a matter of knowledge, but of power, of doing it. Deacons are people who learn the word and they do it, even at the cost of themselves. So there's great confidence in the faith. They are highly prized by the Lord because Jesus himself was called a servant, a deacon of all. And he laid his life down for all. So to have a biblical, active, rich deacon body, men who are laying themselves out for you, is something you can't measure in worth. I want to end with 1 Peter 4, 11. And then one more quote. As we looked at this uh, aspect of the church and discipleship these last several weeks, so it is with, I think, a deacon body. I want to begin reading in verse 8, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. So above all, what are we to do? We're to love one another. Well, what's that look like? Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's one way we love one another. We show hospitality. And we don't grumble about things, having to do that. As each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied or manifold grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. I would see elders in that. Would you not? They are to teach you the Word of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I see deacons in that, right? There's the speaking body and the serving body in leadership. In order that those two bodies, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is my joy, because I very much feel incomplete in leadership without a deacon body. It's my joy this morning to do what we're about to do. David Brainerd, if you've studied his life, what a tremendous man to study. He said this, he said, I long to be a flame of fire, continually glowing in the divine service and building up of Christ's kingdom to my last and dying breath. And he did. That's a prayer we can pray for our deacons, that they would exemplify what it means to serve, even at the cost of themselves. That's a deacon body. So this time, I want, uh, I want to invite our three deacon candidates to uh, go and stand up, just like we did with, uh, and we can have Bo and Dwayne, I don't know if you want to come up here for the vows. Um, we very much want you to, to know that um, we as an elder body are in full agreement in this. And uh, these vows are similar to the ones that we took as an elder body um, before being ordained. And so, very simply, I'm going to ask these three men to stand, and I'll ask you to, to uh, affirm these vows if 
if you want to move forward as a deacon. Otherwise, you're out of here, man. Just kidding. Olin, Travis, and Mark, do you here publicly reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, acknowledging Him as Lord of all and as head of the church? Do you believe the Scriptures of both Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, and our supreme and final authority in both faith and in practice? Do you sincerely believe, receive, and adopt the essential tenets of the faith as expressed in our own statement of faith to be reliable expositions of what Scripture has led us to believe and to do? And to give you some background on that, we had each deacon make sure they, they read through our statement of faith and that they could affirm it with a clear conscience. Do you willingly subscribe to both the government and the discipline of Waypoint Christian Church? Will you endeavor by God's grace and strength, having put your hand to this plow, fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ, being continually guided by the Holy Spirit under the authority of Scripture? Do you promise to be mutually submissive to your fellow deacons in the Lord, loving them, listening to them, and any other fellow workers or colleagues at Waypoint Christian Church, working with them for the mutual upbuilding and peace of the body? Will you endeavor in all your duties as a deacon to be an example and faithful, whether private or public, to adorn the gospel in your manner of life and to walk in a manner worthy to the calling to which you've been called? Finally, do you promise to lead with humility of heart and love for the people entrusted to you to serve? You guys can be seated. We do have some vows for the church because this is a ministry that's reciprocated. You put these men forward and you have some responsibilities back to them as well. Um, so if you agree with this, do you, members at Waypoint Christian Church, acknowledge publicly and willingly Olin Dawkins, Travis Hall, and Mark Olmstead as deacons, being God's provision to this church to take up the service ministry of Waypoint Christian Church? Yeah. Will you commit yourselves to loving and praying for us in our ministry? and to work together with us humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God we may all accomplish the mission of the church, giving these men due respect and support in our positions to which the Lord has called us, that the Lord Jesus and God the Father might be honored and glorified as we just read in First Peter and all we do. With that, I want to invite these three men to come on up. And Bo, Dwayne, and I, as, as they did in the first church, want to lay hands on you. Um, just indicating that we, um, with the authority of the church that God's invested in us, with a clear conscience and with joy and excitement, want to commission you to this ministry. And we're going to pray. So church, would you please stand and join us in prayer as we pray for these men. Father God, what an amazing God you are. What a loving God you are and that you have provided such richness in these people. Not only the members of Waypoint Christian Church and the discernment they showed in putting these men forward in which Bo and Dwayne and I can say amen to, Father, but the joy and unity that we get to share with these men, that we are in full agreement with them of one heart, of one mind, of one purpose in the church. And Father, we gladly receive your provision for us in these men to take up this service ministry, to be representatives to you of the people. 
Father, that they would be your extension, your arm of care, of service and love. That the church may be cared for, that the church may understand they are loved by God, they are not forgotten by the Lord. And you use these men so much and so often to demonstrate that truth. Father, thank you for giving us these men. And we pray, Lord, you raise up multitudes more. We would that the whole church would be qualified. Father, that we would love each other and we'd be of such character and such a model and example of Christ who laid himself down, becoming obedient to the point of death, that we might be brought to the Lord. Father, thank you. We hardly and in agreement recognize these men as your provision for the deacon body. And we pray and say amen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.